Hey, this is Jason Hansen. I'm the lead pastor at Anchor Church. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope that as you listen, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus to live for him, to tell others about him. Thank you for joining us. I hope that you're encouraged. Uh, We are starting a series. Uh, Last week was our first sermon in it. It's called Where is God? And it's going through the book of Esther. Now, we, we ask that question because God's name is never mentioned here in this book, but, it's, but it is here, and he is present. His fingerprints are all over the pages, and we want to make sure that we see it and we understand it. And I, I suspect, as we've gone through COVID season, as we're getting ready to go into an election season, as we have so much upheaval in 2020, um, that a series saying, where is God? Because you don't see him working, but he is, is highly applicable to us in this season. Because, because there's been a number of months where I think we just didn't know what God was doing. What's he up to? Is he, did he forget about us? Like, what's happening in the world? And we want to make sure that we apply this series to our lives. That's what we want to do in this series together. When I was in eighth grade, um, I, I, you know, I was going throughout my day. I remember somewhere in the spring, I was playing baseball. Um, I was, it was a normal day. I remember waking up. Nothing unique about it, just going throughout my day. I get to baseball practice, fine, no problems. I get home, getting ready to go to bed at night, and then it dawns on me. And you know, I got that sinking pit in the stomach feeling. You ever get that feeling? It's that feeling where, you know, know if you're leaning back too far in a chair and it almost tips over, but you catch yourself and you're just like, huh, that pit in the stomach feeling that you get there. I remember getting that feeling, and the reason I got that feeling was because I remembered that the semester-long science fair project was due the next day. And guess who hadn't started it yet? I remember just thinking, oh no, this is not good. Um, because there's no way that you can actually begin a science fair project the night before and come up with results. Now, I, I tried. To be honest with you, I think I, I blocked it out of my memory because I cannot, for the life, I tried to rack my brain. I can't remember what the project that I actually turned in was. I remember standing there and watching the judges and just walking over to me and thinking, just, I just, this is going to be so bad. I don't even remember what I did, all right? But it was that hopeless feeling. You ever get that hopeless feeling of, there is, I got no shot. You know, tomorrow, this is going to be terrible. Pit in the stomach, hopeless feeling. And we can all relate to that feeling. I think in some ways in our lives, we, we get those, don't we? That's just that hopeless feeling. Tomorrow is going to be bad. Like, whatever this is, this is not, I was, wasn't going how I thought it was going to go. Hopeless tomorrows can kind of hit us. Now, I think oftentimes in our lives, we have hopeless tomorrow pit in the stomach feelings, but it's not anything as, as small or pithy as forgetting a science fair project. The older we get, those feelings of hopelessness or just, you know, the pit in the stomach, something's not right. It, they're bigger things, aren't they? They're bigger things. They're things, you know, again, as we get, I'm 43, as we get older, I know what you're thinking, really? You look a lot younger than that. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, as we get, as we get older, um, there's more doctor's visits and more chances for bad news. There's, there's children. I remember talking to somebody who, I was talking to them about my kids, they're grown up, 
Um, this was maybe five years ago. And he had his first grandchild. And I was like, that must be great. All your kids are married. Um, you must not really be concerned about much. And he laughed at me. And he said, actually, you get grandkids and you have now in-laws. It just adds to the concern. Because there's more people I'm worried about at this point. I'm just worried about everybody and how are they doing and all that kind of stuff. I thought, thank you. That's really encouraging. I thought we'd be like let off the hook at some point. It's not the case. The older we get, there's more opportunities for us to have these pit in the stomach, hopeless feelings for tomorrow. Oh, especially if it's a diagnosis or a divorce or something that's a lost job. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills tomorrow. Those kinds of things. You know what I mean by that? I'm sure that you've all had something like that in your life where you're just feeling that way. And I think we can be tempted in those moments to just, as we're thinking that, we wonder what God's doing. Where is he? Where is God in all of these situations? What is God up to? And we can actually not even, uh, maybe even get to that because we're so worried about what's going to happen. Today seems like one thing, but what is tomorrow going to bring? I mean, it doesn't maybe seem like God's at work today. We talked about that last week a little bit. But what about tomorrow? And I think Esther's going to help us here. I think Esther this morning is going to help us here. Here's the big idea that I want you to know, remember, think through. It's this, that we want to be a people that believe. And when I say believe, I mean deeply believe that God is at work today on our hopeless tomorrows. God is at work today working, moving. He is on the move today for and on our hopeless tomorrows, those pit in the stomach feelings of tomorrow. What is going to happen? I don't know. Maybe it seems hopeless. Maybe it seems like there is nothing happening, but God is at work. We want to believe that, and we want to grow in believing that, and that's a question we want to answer. How do we grow here? And how do we know that God is actually doing that? I think Esther's going to help us. We're going to do this. I'm going to read chapter 3 in its entirety. It's not super long. We'll read all of chapter 3, and then we're going to break it down, just pull it apart a little bit, and figure out how we can live it out, and then we will, uh, we will sing one more song and be, be done this morning. So Esther, chapter 3. We want to believe that God is working today on our, on your, on my hopeless tomorrows. Esther, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. There's this command of the king, you've got you to bow down to this guy. But Mordecai, who we met last week, did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. He's one of God's people taken into captivity here in Persia. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, 
In the 12th year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month till the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and, and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. They do not keep the king's laws, and that, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. He's not looking for imprisonment. He's not looking just to put them away somewhere. He's looking for them to be destroyed. Strong word, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasury, a little bit of a, a bribe. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an edict, was a, uh, an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script and to every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus, and sealed with the king's signet ring, letters were sent to the couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. It's almost like, okay, well, just go about our business. They made this decree to destroying every, every Jewish person, total holocaust, but yet they're just going to go drink together. But the city of Susa was thrown into confusion, rightfully so. Chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes, a sign of mourning, and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. We see Mordecai here. Now when we left Mordecai at the end of chapter 2, if you remember, he had saved the king's life. This is actually five years Earlier, he, at the end of chapter 2, between chapter 2 and chapter 3, five years goes by. And we can see that because we see that he married, Ahasuerus marries Esther, makes her queen in the seventh year of his reign. And we see here as we read that this is the twelfth year of his reign. So five years have gone by. At the end of chapter 2, five years earlier, Mordecai had saved Esther. I'm sorry, through Esther had saved King Ahasuerus. He had heard about a plot. He talked to him about, you know, talked to Esther about the plot. Esther talked to the king about the plot. Turns out to be true. Saves his life. And so you'd think in chapter 3, it'd be like, ah, Mordecai, good. Not so. There's this other guy that comes in, Haman, an Agagite. He was an Amalekite, which was, would have been a, an enemy of the Jewish people back in the days of Samuel and King Saul. 
And here the line continues, and there's this Agagite named Haman. And Mordecai does not bow down to him. And we're not told why. We don't know if it's because he's Jewish and he's like, God's my God. I'm not going to bow down to somebody else. You can maybe, you know, you think about other, if you know the Old Testament, other Old Testament narratives, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, maybe not bowing down. There's a story about these three men that didn't bow down to an idol and the king called him to do it. And the king wanted to kill him, kill them for that as well. But here, here is a, here's this guy, this Jewish person, one of God's people taken from his land. He will not bow down to Haman. There was the king's, the king had uh, ordered him to do it, yet he, he wouldn't do it. And people tell Haman about it. And Haman gets furious. Any dictator does when somebody doesn't bow down to them, don't they? Doesn't, doesn't like it. So he gets furious with Mordecai. He wants Mordecai to go down, but not just Mordecai. All of the people of Mordecai. Notice what he, how he calls them. He says, the Jews, Mordecai's people. Every single one. He is just not out for Mordecai. He wants total annihilation of every single one of these Israelite captives. And, and, and it's not just a small group either, because if you remember, King Xerxes, we talked about this last week, was a king from India to Ethiopia. Almost all of the known world, the Persian Empire was over, meaning that, hey, we're going to take out everyone. Notice, all provinces, all people got this note in their own languages. Any Jewish person would have been put to death. Total annihilation is what Haman's going for. And, and how he comes up with this plan and how he tries to think through it is to ask the gods, okay, when's going to be a good day to make this happen? He asks the gods. He casts per or lots. Now, what they would have done here is they would have taken those like dice, almost like tarot cards. You know, if you like, if you know, people that flip through tarot cards and they get this, oh, this is, oh no, death or whatever happens. I don't know. But they have these, they have these dice and they're going to roll dice to figure out what is the best day that the gods are going to give to us to destroy the Jewish people. And so they cast lots. And what they, almost like what they do is they say, what about today? They roll the dice, cast lots, and that doesn't seem favorable. What about tomorrow? Cast dice, nope. And we see they do that day after day with a calendar in their minds. What about the day after, the day after, the day after? No, it doesn't seem to be going their way because it takes months. This is the first month of the year. It is not until the 12th month of the year that they get to where they realize, okay, that's a good day. The 13th of, in our calendar, I guess, they, he's doing this in January. They go all the way through in their calendar to December 13th. That's it. December 13th finally looks like a favorable. It seems a long time, doesn't it? Just rolling dice, like, continue going, doesn't seem, nothing's hitting. Okay, but finally you hit on, uh, in our calendar, it would be December 13th. So 11 months. They go through 11 months of rolling dice, finally casting these lots and prayer. Finally, it lands on a good day. He come, the gods are with us on this day. And they come in and he tells the king, hey, listen, I, got a, I just got an issue. Jewish people, they're not doing anything for you. Uh, I just say, what if we just annihilate all of them? And King Hazarus seems to just say, I get, okay, that sounds great. Here, take my signet ring. It also helps that he gave him a bribe. That 10,000 talents is about $100 million an hour day. It's a big piece of money. Hey, just take, hey, just take this. If, if you go along with this thing, you can take $100 million, put it in the king's coffers. That's great. 
Okay. What's it to the king? I mean, he's, he's, he's over so many people. What's a, what's a few million, you know? Like, what's, he's just going to take them all out. Now, we know that Esther is highly, not, not metaphoric, ironic. There's irony here. The name, I didn't say this last week, the name Ahasuerus is not his name known in the world. He's Xerxes, the great king, king of kings, pharaoh of Egypt. Ahasuerus, um, in, in Hebrew, actually sounds like headache. So they're calling him here in Esther, King Headache. That's what he's known for in Esther. It's a pun. It's, it's ironic because he was drunk at the beginning. He throws his wife away. He brings Esther into the harem. Now he's just killing all the Jewish people. He's just throwing it out there. He is a headache for the Jewish people. And so they call him King Headache, Ahasuerus. That's what they name him here. So we get a, we get a tone of the writing. The writing is meant to be ironic in everything that happens, to tell the story of Purim, which, is, which means the festival of lots. And we see why here. This is the casting of lots. And Ahasuerus says, okay, that sounds great. Good for him. He goes to get a drink. Not good for the Jewish people, is it? Because we read here in the end of, um, the end of chapter 3 that the king's scribes, verse 12, were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and this edict goes out that Haman commands. It was written to the king's satraps, and notice it's all of them. All and every is used a lot, all right? All of them, they all get it in all of their own languages. And the signet ring is used, meaning that once this is signed in as an edict, it is impossible for it to go back. In this, in this Persian society, once the signet ring was used, the king gives a command, there is no way for it not to be, there is no way for it to be overturned. No way for it not to be an actual edict that goes forward. This is in law now. This is written. He cannot undo it. And Mordecai knows it and all the people know it. The king has given a, an edict signed with his signet ring. This is going to happen. There is no way it will not. It is sure. Hopelessness is sure at this point. Because, because everybody knows that once the king does this, mark it down. Even if the king wanted to go back and say, oh, forget it, I'm going to burn it up, doesn't matter. He does not have the power to do that. Once he signs it in, it is what it is. You ever use that phrase, it is what it is? At this point, it is what it is. They're all going to be annihilated in 11 months. This is the first month, 13th day of the first month, 13th day of the 12th month, it's going to happen. These people are going to be destroyed. King Headache has signed it into law at this point. And Mordecai goes out, he hears it, and he tears his clothes, sackcloth and ashes. He knows what it means, church. And he cries a bitter cry. You ever cry a bitter cry? Our, in, our, in our words, it'd be like, he cries an ugly cry. He ugly cries here, right? You ever cry a bitter cry over something? Just something is so grieving to you. 
You just cry, just bitterness. A bitter cry hits him, and he does not know what to do. Because this is sure. In, in 11 months, not just him, but listen, his daughter, the queen, will be put to death. Now, King Ahasuerus doesn't, doesn't know that he just signed the death warrant for his wife. No idea. And Haman doesn't know either. Because my guess is if Haman knew that, he probably would have backed off a little bit. Because it's not going to go well for Haman. I'm just giving you a little foreshadowing. If you haven't read Esther, not going to go well for Haman. All right? But here we are, because we don't... Listen, Mordecai doesn't know what tomorrow is. Mordecai is living in the today. More, all Mordecai knows is there is a, an edict. In 11 months, his life is over, and the life of his daughter, Queen Esther, also over. And listen, church, listen up. It's not just this, but this is every Jewish person will be destroyed. You know what that means? All of salvation history as you and I know it, gone. Because there is no tribe of Judah after this. There is no king that follows the line after this. There is no genealogy in Matthew 1 after this. There is no Mary and Joseph after this. There is no Jesus in Bethlehem after this. There is no cross. There is no resurrection because there is no lineage. This is a plot not just to kill the, the people of Mordecai. This is a plot to kill the people of the living God and to destroy the plans that he set forth from the very beginning. There is no anchor church once Haman's done with the people. This derails everything if this goes to pass, and it will, because the decree has been set, the signet ring has been used, and everybody's in trouble. Mordecai knows that he is living in his today. He doesn't have the benefit of being able to read the next chapter. He, he doesn't know what comes next. He doesn't get to chapter 9. He's living in chapter 3. And church, listen, you and I, we live in our own chapters, don't we? We can't turn the page. We don't know what tomorrow is. We can't look for tomorrow. We live in today. And we might ask ourselves, well, what about tomorrow? Because there's a lot of unknowns, isn't there? Look, what is, what is the diagnosis for you? What does is, what is your life look like? What is it that, that leaves that pit in your stomach feeling like Mordecai has where he just cries a bitter cry? What is that for you today? Because you don't know tomorrow. You can't flip the page, can you? And neither can I. We, we, we don't know. And we might ask ourselves, if all we knew, listen, if all we knew was up to chapter 3, and we didn't have Esther 4 and 5 and 6, and we didn't know the rest, wouldn't we ask this question, where is God? Wouldn't we ask that question? Where, what's he doing? Because the edict is, is, is there now. Hopelessness has set in. Pit in your stomach feeling is here. We'd ask that question, God, where are you? This is your people, right? You made promises Years and years ago, at the very beginning, you promised to save your people. You promised Abraham certain things and David certain things. And now they're all going to die here. If we didn't know, we'd ask the question, where is 
God, and God is here. Did you see him? Did you see him in chapter 3? When we read through and we went through it, did you see God at work? Because he is. It doesn't mention his name, but he's there. You know where he is? They cast the purr to ask the deities for the best day. And the way this is written is we need to understand that God is in the role of the dice. God is in the percasting, the, the lots. Why in the world did it take 11 months of casting lots to come up with a favorable one for Haman? You know why? Because it's not for Haman that it took that long. It's for the people. They needed enough time. Look, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but it's gonna, they needed enough time to actually organize themselves and figure out how to get through this and understand what's going to happen, and we're going to read about it. But listen, every single roll of the dice is not haphazard. And every single moment of your day, it's not haphazard either. God is in them all. God is in every single one of these, taking this long to get here. Haman thinks, oh, God's for us. Actually, God's for Mordecai. And ultimately, God's for you and me. God is at work here for you and me to make sure that the line and the lineage of the kings of Judah continue so that there will be one who is born on Christmas Day as we sing and who does die on the cross and rise again from the dead as we celebrate at Good Friday and Easter. We, we want to make sure we understand this. We want to make sure we grasp this. God is at work here. God's at work here in every single roll of these lots. Casting of the purr, God is at work. He is at work for you and, to me, and me. Do we believe that God is at work today for our hopeless tomorrows? Mordecai didn't know but we have the benefit of reading the rest of the chapters. God is at work in your hopeless tomorrows. He's working today for the things you don't know. You know who does know them? He does. Do you believe that's true? That's our call this morning. Believe that God is at work today for your hopeless tomorrows. Do you believe it or do you not believe it? We want to make sure we grasp it. We want to make sure that we understand it. I have one live it out point today. Just one. Here's what it is. Live like God is on the move because he is. If you don't live like God is on the move, working today for your tomorrows, if you do not live like that, you are a functional atheist. You believe like God is not at work. You believe that God doesn't exist. If you're just, if every single thing that takes place, you wonder, or you don't even think about God. You just think, oh, this is another thing. I don't know. God's not at work, whatever. You're living as if he doesn't exist. You're also living as if he doesn't love you. You're also living as if he's not at work for you. And he is. Do you believe he is? We need to make sure that we believe he is. Live like God is on the move because he is. We are purposely biblical. We, look, we believe God is on the move. You read the Bible. Do, if you've never read through Genesis to Revelation, do yourself a favor. Take the next seven years. However long it's going to take you to read through it. It doesn't matter. How long it takes you to read through it. People, people tell me, I like to do a read through the Bible in a year plan. That's great. I don't. I feel like I'm rushing through everything. 
It takes me like two or three years to read through the Bible because I'm like, I want to slow down. You know, I don't want to just rush through this all. Take as long as you want, but do it. Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. Read the whole book straight through. Read the whole Bible straight through. You know what you're going to see? God is on the move. God is on the move. We see in the Bible that he's always working for his people. He's always working for saving his people. He's always working for the good of his people, to make his people more holy, to make them know him more, to make them, to make them more like him. God is always on the move. He's never not doing that. Now that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that you will not have moments of feeling your hopelessness in situations. Because we will feel our hopelessness. Look, God's, God's on the move. He's working today for your hopeless tomorrows. That doesn't mean that you will find uh, just a resolve to every hopeless situation that you're in. Mordecai and Esther did, but what about the generations prior to that? They died maybe without even knowing that. Listen, you know how I know that God's not going to resolve every hopeless situation for you? Because you will die. So will I. There will be a car accident for somebody that you know. There will be a diagnosis for somebody that you know. Your parents, your spouse, Lord willing, it doesn't happen, but maybe your child, I don't know. God knows. He's numbered our days. He knows. Every situation we feel like is hopeless, death is maybe the pinnacle of that. Let's, we're all going to experience that. It doesn't mean God's not working, because he is. He's working to help us to know him, maybe, and see him, and trust him, and, and recognize his care for us, and his grace for us, and his love for us. We want to make sure we get that. Listen, not every person, and I want you to listen to this carefully, not every person will be rid of every hopeless situation, every time on this earth. Not every person will be rid of every hopeless situation, every time on this earth, meaning, we will, we will sometimes have to walk out that hopeless feeling and just we get to the end of it. Maybe death hits. Maybe something else happens. We will not be rid of every hopeless situation, but I want you to get this, though, Christian. Every Christian will be rid of every hopeless situation every time when we see Jesus face to face. Every Christian will, we'll in fact, be rid of every hopeless situation every single time when you see Jesus. There will be no more tears. There will be no more uh, sorrow and grief. You know why? Because we're with the king. He's going to make it all new. And our hope sometimes is in that. We look forward to those days. It's not always like Mordecai where he saves them here in the moment. But, but, but rest assured, he saves Mordecai here in the moment so that we can have a future hope when we see him. See, the gospel, the gospel functions for us, not just in day-to-day -day moments, but in eternity. Sometimes our hope and our recognizing that God's at work and he's doing something in us is eternal. Our joy is there. Our hope is found there. And it should be found there. Gospel works for us those ways. We want to make sure that we understand this. Look, do you believe, church, Anchor Church, do you believe that God is at work today, right now, on a Sunday morning? At Anchor Church, Gilbert, Quartz Hill Elementary School, or at home this morning, if you're watching from your couch, 
Do you believe God's at work today for your hopeless tomorrows? Do you believe that's true? Because as Christians, we must believe that's true. Because God says that is true. And he's proven himself faithful over time to do that over and over and over again. It never stops. God is always faithful to continue to work. Hey, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're in this room, you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're at home watching, you don't know Jesus. You're, you're not familiar with his death or his resurrection. I would tell you all this. If you're feeling hopeless, look, so often in our lives, I think even as Christians, we try really hard to work our way to get somewhere, don't we? We try really hard to be as good as possible, to save ourselves, do all this kind of stuff. Listen, it's, it's exhausting to try to be the person that makes ourselves good enough to get to heaven or something, isn't it? It's exhausting to do that. It really is. If we are dependent upon ourselves, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news says, you can't do enough to get there. It's on me, Jesus says. Put it on me. There is a gospel reality, a good news reality, that our hope is in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're not a Christian. Your hope is not in you. It's in him. That's the gospel. You can't do enough good things to get to him because you've done enough bad things to separate yourself from him. But he died on a cross for you and for me. And he rose again from the dead. We don't serve a dead king. We serve a living one. Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is our hope this morning. Pray it's your hope too if you don't know him. Listen, I'm going to call the band up here as we get ready to close. I'm going to finish with one song. This uh, sermon series in Esther is going to find uh, its culmination in salvation for the people of God. Do you know why? Because God has always been doing that and he will never fail at doing that. He will never fail in your life in doing that. You trust Jesus? That is going to happen. Salvation is sure for you and for me because God is passionate about us and he loves us. Though in moments, in today's day-to-day, -day, we may be experiencing troubles and hardships and difficulties and we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold, there is one who does and he loves you more than you understand. Do you believe God is at work today for your unknown tomorrows? Church, we want to believe this. Oh, we want to we understand this. We want to run to this truth. Because guaranteed, maybe it's not today, but you will have a day where you need that truth to be true. And I pray you do. For his glory, for his name, for your good, because you're his people. We want to walk with him. It's what matters. Let's sing one more song as we close. Why don't you stand? Stand together.